a bit of fun with Emily. It's me, your host, Emily. I am glad you're here. Since we're currently in between seasons, that just has to mean one thing. It's time for an appreciation week, and this particular week is, of course, dedicated to the legend that is Mr. Tim Curry. On Tuesday, we explored two of his comedies. We talked about Oscar and Clue, and today we're going to talk about a couple of his more dramatic roles as Darkness in the epic fantasy legend and as the corrupt Cardinal Richelieu in The Three Musketeers, one of my favorite live-action Disney movies is really known for is his voice acting work. I am fond of it, especially from the 90s. So when I was little, um, we would get up early to go to school and we always had, I don't know, about 20 minutes or so, 20, 30 minutes before the bus would come that my brother and I, my younger brother, Nathan, who was on the podcast for the when we talked about 90s kids movies with his wife, Abby, we would watch some TV and there were two shows that have forever stuck with me. Were they good shows? No, they were not. Um, but for some reason, they have always been in my head of that is what we watched before we went to school. The first was Mighty Max. So it was an animated thing about a 12-year-old boy who finds a magical cap that can teleport him across dimensions. Tim Curry voiced Skullmaster, who was kind of the baddie of the show. And then we also watched this ridiculous live action thing superhuman samurai cyber squad that one came out in 94 about uh sam collins played by matthew lawrence and his friends who secretly fight computer virus monsters by being transported themselves into a computer and tim curry voiced kilo khan who was also the villain in that. So I have known and loved Tim Curry, even when I didn't realize I was knowing and loving Tim Curry. And so as I got to know him and his roles, as you know, I started to watch his movies, that love just continued to grow and grow. So first, we're going to talk about Legend. This isn't one I really grew up watching. That kind of surprises me a little, seeing as how 80s fantasies like The Labyrinth and The Dark Crystal and Lady Hawk and the Neverending Story, they were always big in our household. I'm sure I saw it at some time, but it just wasn't a staple. And I like it. I, I like cheesy 80s fantasy films. <laughs> I mean, I've watched 70s too. I, I think it's the 70s where you have like Conan the Barbarian and the Beastmaster. Horrible movies. Horrible. But I enjoy that kind of thing from time to time. Um, but this one, I think I like just on the surface. It's definitely one I feel like is attempting a deeper impact, a, I don't know, a commentary on humanity or nature, maybe, or morality. I'm not entirely sure. And to be honest, I'm too lazy to really delve into it to see if that's a thing. But on the surface, it's a story about a boy who loves a girl who's just the absolute worst. So I can get behind that. So let's just dive in. So the Lord of Darkness, played by Tim Curry, really wants to cast the world into eternal night because... I, I don't know. That's just his thing. But he can't because there are unicorns that roam the earth, the bringers of light. He has plans to send his goblin minions to find the unicorns and cut off their unicorn horns. Do those have a name? I don't know. Uh, but if you cut off the horn, you steal their magic uh, and the light goes away. And that would leave room for darkness to rule. Meanwhile, Princess Lily, this selfish, vapid young woman has entered the forest to visit her peasant paramour, Jack O'Green, who is played by a very young Tom Cruise. 
Against common sense, Jack takes her to see the unicorns, but warns her to kind of stay away from them, that they're magical creatures that can't be bothered. She, of course, does not do this. And while she's distracting one of the creatures by patting him, the darkness's goblins sneak up and shoot a poison dart at the unicorn. The unicorns run away, and Jack is pretty worried, but Lily self-involved as she is, decides to throw her ring into a nearby pond and tells Jack that whoever finds it can marry her. So while Jack is searching for the ring, creating uh, room for the goblins to go find the poison unicorn, they do, and they cut off its horn, creating an apocalyptic winter. Then Lily overhears the goblins say that it's kind of her fault, so she's now determined to help save the unicorn before the evil creatures can find it and thus secure eternal night forever. Lily finds herself at some point at Darkness's castle. Turns out he has fallen in love with her, which happens very quickly, and entices her with jewels and the promise of power. She lies to him and tells him she'll marry him if he'll let her kill the unicorn once it's captured. Meanwhile, Jack is on a quest. He's on a quest to find Lily and save her and hopefully save the last unicorn from being killed. And he's got this little posse of woodland... Um, they're not really creatures, entities. I mean, there's a fairy among them, almost like a uh, um, a satyr of some sort. I'm not sure. Little little guys with lots of hair on their faces. <laughs> I I don't know what they are. Um, so he he's heading to Darkness's castle to save both Lily and the unicorn. The creature is caught. The unicorn is caught. The darkness sets up a ritual to bring. Um, the night, the eternal night, but Lily doesn't kill the unicorn. Instead, she sets it free, which opens up an opportunity for Jack and his friends to defeat darkness who falls down into the sky. I didn't quite understand that part, how he, how he fell into the sky when he seemed to be underground in a cave. They then restore the unicorn's horn in the winter and save Lily from a coma. The end. Tim Curry is absolutely unrecognizable in his role as Darkness, who's kind of like a devil-like creature with red skin and giant horns and cloven legs. We'll talk more about the process he had to go through for the makeup in a sec, but the transformation is truly impressive. Every once in a while, you can catch a hint of his accent or the particular way he'll say a word, but for the most part, he just really becomes the evil creature. Darkness is... Well, for a lack of a better term, he's seductive and he's dangerous. He knows just what to say. And it comes out almost, I don't know, like a purr. Even with all the makeup, Curry's facial expressions emphasize each of those elements. And I stand by the fact that you you should kind of fall in love with a really good villain. If they're doing it right, you should fall in love with them. Whether that's because of the gray line that they walk when it comes to right or wrong, or the way they go about convincing you they're right, they should just cause some conflicting emotions. I'm just saying, I think I think I would pick Darkness over Tom Cruise. I often want to pick the the villain, but I think I think maybe that is um, that's another podcast for another time. So a few interesting tidbits about the movie: director Ridley Scott drew most of his inspiration from. Uh, Beauty and the Beast that came out in 46, as well as the animated Disney classics like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Fantasia, and Bambi. You can definitely see it with um, Fantasia, the, the, the 
we talked about it in the first season and I've forgotten or completely forgotten his his name, but um, the guy with the horns. Anyway, so Tim Curry had to wear a large bull-like structure atop his head with three-foot fiberglass horns supported by a harness underneath the makeup. The horns placed a strain on the back of Curry's neck because they extended forward and not straight up. Um, They finally came up with horns that were hollow and lightweight enough after working with it. At the end of the day, he spent an hour in a bath in order to liquefy the soluble spirit gum that held it all together. And at one point, Curry got too impatient and claustrophobic and pulled the makeup off too quickly, tearing off his own skin in the process. Uh, Director Ridley Scott felt both horrified and sorry for Curry and immediately tried to find an easier way to include his character like to get him ready since he didn't want curry to put more makeup on his torn skin he shot around him for a week he also realized this could add dramatic buildup for the character and reshot some of his opening scenes this way which kind of makes sense there is one scene um when his goblin minions have gotten the unicorn horn and they are sitting around a fire testing out its magic and then this entity appears and it takes you a moment to realize that it's darkness i wonder if that's something that they did or maybe the darkness in that form couldn't come up to the surface of the earth i don't know but i did have a question about that apparently the sound of the unicorns at play is actually a recording of humpback whales and tim curry's performance as darkness was ranked by entertainment weekly as the best performance in a bad movie See, somebody else thought this was a bad movie. It's not a bad movie. It's just, I. they say the director cut had a, a lot more in it, that the movie was originally like two and a half hours, two hours and 45 minutes, something like that. But after they did some, you know, viewings with people, they, they're like, oh no, we've got to cut some of this. But uh, I did read that Tom Cruise stands behind, no, if you really want to enjoy the movie, you need to see the director's cut. So that is... That is legend. If you haven't seen it, seen it, I highly recommend it. Um, if you see it and then want to talk about it, please let me know. <laughs> Tell me if you think there's some hidden symbolism in there that, that I'm just too lazy to try to understand. But now for the Three Musketeers. So this is my second favorite version of this story. As much as I love Tim Curry as Cardinal Richelieu, my heart belongs to the BBC three season series that I've watched probably five times all the way through. I was going to say that you should head to your local library to check it out, but I'm fairly certain the only people that listen to this podcast are amazing librarians who would just instinctively know to do that. But if if there is someone out there who is not a librarian, please support your local public library. (laughs) Anyway, the plot. It's the same plot. Uh, I I will admit I've never read the book. I thought about it uh, because I knew uh, I, I went ahead and bought it because I knew it was going to take me a while. And after I'd watched the BBC show, I was like, you know what, I'm going to read this. I'm going to read this and love it. Uh, But then I often get distracted by new shiny, not classics books on e-audiobooks. So it's still sitting on the shelf. One day, one day I'm going to read it. And and maybe one day we'll talk about how I've let go of that guilt of not loving the classics. Anyhow, so there's two basic plots. Plot one, Cardinal Richelieu, our guy Tim Curry, has his eyes on the French throne and plans to kill the king and sign a treaty with England to avoid war. In order to accomplish that, though, he disbands the musketeers, which are like the king's personal army or bodyguards. He hires Milady de Winter, a mysterious woman or a spy assassin with a sordid past, and basically um, decides to just creep out everyone in the castle, especially the queen, except for his right-hand man, 
Captain Rochefort, who is played by Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Sheriff of Nottingham, Michael Wincott. So the guy's legit. Plot two. Uh, a very cocky, talented, yet stubborn young man named D'Artagnan, played by Chris O'Donnell. He arrives in Paris to become a musketeer and avenge his musketeer father's death. When he gets there, he finds out that the group has been fired. He's royally ticked off. He picks fights with three separate men who demand a duel for satisfaction. But too bad for D'Artagnan because those three men are the infamous musketeers named Athos, who's played by Kiefer Sutherland, Porthos, who's played by Oliver Platt, and Aramis, who's played by Charlie Sheen. What a weird combination of men. But it works. It works so well. So in a switcheroo, he helps them fight the Cardinal's guards who are attempting to arrest them and quickly the four become friends. Together, they attempt to stop the Cardinal's dastardly plot and save the King of France as they have given their lives to do. So while the focus on the movie is definitely on the Musketeers, there's very few movies outside of probably Rocky Horror that I can immediately think of. Tim Curry isn't isn't the main character, but yet he fills these supporting roles so well. Uh, Curry steals every scene he is in in the Musketeers. His particular portrayal of Richelieu is of a man purely driven by power. Well, hmm, kind of power and lust, maybe? Like I said, there's a really creepy vibe with him and a scene where he comes to the queen's chambers while she's bathing specifically to make her uncomfortable and to show her that he is in control. He does wear this really billowy red cape thing, has uh, just another really good round of one-liners that are exceedingly quotable. Uh, at one point he goes, all for one and more for me. Oh, so good. Or, um... 1,000 gold pieces on each of their heads, dead or alive. I prefer dead. Oh, so good. Uh, and then there's this scene where the queen says that she would rather die than stand by his side after he kills the king. And he yells, that can be arranged. Ugh, and unrelated. But one of my favorite movie quotes of all time that I do use a lot um, is from this movie. Oliver Platt's Porthos is yelling to D'Artagnan in the last battle. He goes, come, D'Artagnan, we are saving the king. So anytime I, I need some help doing something, I, I usually yell that at the person, which makes no sense to them. But it just it makes me happy. It's for me and not them. Curry plays manipulative so well because of his calm and his charm. We saw it in darkness too. He smiles while he threatens to kill people and scowls with the best of villains. He just really becomes the character. So if it's been a while since you've watched The Three Musketeers, I'm just going to assume you've seen it because that would make my heart feel better. I highly recommend a rewatch. Some interesting tidbits about the movie. According to IMDb, Brad Pitt turned down the role of D'Artagnan, William Baldwin, Johnny Depp, Gary Oldman, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Carrie Elways, and Al Pacino were also sought out by Disney for parts in this movie. Jean-Claude Van Damme. I, I try, I'm trying to imagine what role he would have fit in, and I cannot figure it out. I do not know what it would be. Tim Curry played a role previously played by Charlton Heston, um, something he did again on Muppet Treasure Island, which came out in 1996. So Charlton Heston played Cardinal Richelieu at some point. Kiefer Sutherland, Chris O'Donnell, and Oliver Platt all endured six weeks of fencing and writing lessons. Charlie Sheen missed out on all of this. Uh, he was in the middle of filming Hot Shots Part Due, which came out in 93. Uh, it also said that he is a terrified of horses, which I understand. Horses are very big. 
They're very big and they're large and their nostrils are like the size of your fist, which is intimidating. Mm. But I do love to look at them at the State Fair. And last one, when Countess de Winter, played by Rebecca de Mornay, jumps off a cliff, she became the first character in a movie released under the Walt Disney banner to commit suicide. Very interesting. So that is our conversation about the Three Musketeers and legend. And that finalizes our conversation about how awesome Tim Curry is. Uh, wait, Emily, how can you talk about Tim Curry and completely skip over Muppet Treasure Island? Don't worry. No worries, dear listener. The Muppets are just a season away, and I promise to dedicate an entire episode to his genius performance in Muppets Treasure Island. But that is it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Really, it is always so appreciated. If you haven't already, I hope you subscribe so we can keep going on this journey together. And if you've got the time, it would be awesome if you could rate and review so that other individuals who like random conversations about pop culture with someone who just really doesn't know what they're talking about can join in on the fun as well. I am going to start switching up appreciation weeks. Uh, I have um, recruited Watson, who has been on a couple episodes. She did the Disney Villains episode with me in season one and then joined me last season for uh, when we did the interlude, the Christmas interlude to do Christmas superlatives. She's going to join me for the appreciation week. So that's going to be a lot of fun. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at at GnomeGirlM, and on Facebook is a bit of fun with Emily. Check those out. It'll tell you when the next season is coming up, where we are going to talk about romantic comedies. Uh, so we're going to show different eras and how most of them have the same plot. It's going to be a good time. But go have yourself a bit of fun today, and I will see you next time.